something for me Something you call love but confess You've been a messin' where you shouldn't have been a messin' And now someone else is getting all your best These boots are made for walking And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you Hello and welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill episode number 75 Where we go back, back to, to the, the past, past. And read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing. You can find us every Sunday on chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Pick us up on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and heard playing in the parlor of a neighborhood home while out for a pleasant stroll. Hmm. Wouldn't that be nice? Walking by to hear our podcast wafting from the front room of a, uh, a craftsman home. (laughs) <laughs> well, what book are we giving these people today? Well, in honor of our 75th episode, uh, we uh, when, you, when I think of 75 and Superman, I think of a pretty bad day in his life. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and this will be no different. We're going to be discussing Superman Grounded. Now, this arc ran with a few fill-ins uh, between uh, Superman number 700 and the final issue of Superman Volume 1, 714. It's ran from June 2010 all the way to August of 2011. Written by J. Michael Straczynski, Chris Robertson, and G. Willow Wilson. Penciled mostly by Eddie Barrows. Uh, issue 700, as you might imagine, was a little oversized, so that was $4.99. And every every issue after that was Two ninety nine, because that's where DC drew the line. They drew that line. That's right. Then they let the line go. Then they pulled the line back. <laughs> they did. You know, they play with that line. A lot line. of line play. Yeah. <laughs> now they're kind of they're kind of stand on both sides of the line. Now you notice that they kind of hang they out. They are. I like on that line. They are. But, uh... Prestige things are coming in too. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so of course we're going to tell you some the author bios and the creator bios, or as best we can. Start with the fella J. Michael Straczynski, uh, a.k.a. Joseph Michael Straczynski, born July 17, 1954, in Patterson, New Jersey. He was raised by his father, Charles, and mother, Evelyn, and was moved around quite a bit uh, during his youth. He says, I grew up in Jersey, California, Illinois, Texas, that sort of thing. He graduated from Chula Vista High School and attended San Diego State University, where after six years, he graduated with a B.A. in psychology and sociology. Though he always knew he'd become a writer, his minors were in philosophy and writing. So when you get that philosophy uh, minor, let me tell you, you know you've got a... Uh, you know what you're doing. Yeah, you're life. teaching philosophy or you're writing. Or you're writing, yeah. Uh, <laughs> while attending university, a JMS wrote for the student newspaper, The Daily Aztec, and was so prolific, the paper would be just jokingly referred to as The Daily Joe. Professionally, JMS's career began when his, with his writing plays for Southwestern College, uh, Chula Vista, California, as well as SDSU. During the late 1970s, while still in college, he would become a reviewer for radio station KSDO, 102.9 on your FM dial, which is now KLQV, a Spanish-language station, so you won't find uh, J, JMS on there. <laughs> he would write radio plays and would eventually be hired to script the radio drama Alien Worlds. This was a syndicated show created by radio personality voice actor Lee Hansen, which ran for 26 episodes between 1978 and 1980. His first television project was the teleplay Marty Sprinkle on KPBS-TV. Be very careful if you decide to Google that, though. Make sure 
You spell it right, Marty. Yes, Marty has a T. Yes, yes. <laughs> Don't go the other way. Uh, the teleplay would air just before JMS graduated college, and he would also work on Disaster Peace Theater for XETV. And as a Southern California journalist, JMS would contribute to the Los Angeles Times, San Diego Magazine, the San Diego Reader, the Los Angeles Herald Examiner, the Los Angeles Reader, TV Cable Week, and People Magazine. So, uh, pretty lazy. Right? Not yeah, very busy. He, yeah, he, he let the grass grow under his feet. <laughs> Definitely. Now, now, in addition to his journalism, he would write the complete book of script writing for Writer's Digest. And that's a text that's now used in intro to screenwriting classes. Uh, 1984, JMS, a big fan of He-Man and the Masters of the, Masters of the Universe, sent a script he'd written for the series directly to Filmation. And they bought it. Wow. He would, yeah, he would sell several more scripts and be hired as a staff story editor for both He-Man and She-Ra, Princess of Power series. Uh, he would leave Filmation. He would leave when Filmation refused to give him an on-screen credit for his work. So he and associate Larry Dettillo would uh, next find work at Deke. Mm. You know that uh, that company with that creepy closing video with the kid in bed, and it would like go out the yeah. window Deek. and. I, I always think of them as the Inspector Gadget guys. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, while at Teak, they would work on Jace and the Wheeled Warriors. There's a cartoon that ran a single season of 65 episodes, the first of which aired on September 16th, 1985. Now, while working on Jace, uh, Straczynski joined up with Len Jansen and Chuck Menville to create the real Ghostbusters. That's not the one with the ape. Right. Uh, now, after a successful first season, ABC TV took notice and decided to try and enact a little bit of creative control. JMS remembers, they proposed, to my mind, some really offensive things. They wanted to make Janine a mommy character instead of the strong female character she'd been in the movie and in the series. They wanted to make Winston, the only black character in the show, just a driver, which I thought was profoundly racist. They wanted to meddle, even though in the beginning, it was ABC's number one rated show. I don't know if that's number one rated kids show. I'm assuming it is. I would have to think so, yeah. Yeah, I don't think this was beating whatever. Full house or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so, he left. Yeah, and then the show and its resultant huge toy line tanked, I'm sure. Uh, (laughs) On to live action. He didn't just do the cartoons, folks. He did live action television. Uh, Straczynski freelanced in the TV biz, including writing for The Twilight Zone. Shelley Duvall's Nightmare Classics. Uh, What's your favorite episode of that, Chris? Probably the one that JMS wrote. Oh, yeah, right. That's my favorite one, too. (laughs) Uh, And Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. This was toy company Mattel trying to get a bit too involved in Captain Power. And so, like with Ghostbusters before it, JMS left. Uh, Getting the feeling that Straczynski doesn't take kindly to having his work edited. I wonder how that'll serve him when he gets to comics. Mm. Yeah, you know, you never hear about any uh, arguments with the editorial and comics. So I'm sure it'll be never. fine. Uh, Straczynski would pitch first Jake and the Fat Man and was hired on as a story editor. He didn't stick around long, choosing to quit when writers Jerry Taylor and David Messenger left the show. Messenger would move on to write Murder She Wrote, and JMS was offered a position as co-producer. He'd stick around on Murder She Wrote for two seasons, writing seven episodes. These seasons were wildly successful, making the program a top ten show. In 1991, Straczynski was contacted by Warner Brothers to produce Babylon 5 as a flagship program for the Primetime Entertainment Network. A potential fifth television network, as after CBS, NBC, Fox, and ABC, which would only last from January 20th, 1993 to October 27th, 1997, 
when it were re replaced with the WB and UPN, who would eventually merge to become the CW in 2006. Uh, Babylon 5 was sort of an evolution from Captain Power, and Straczynski would write 92 of the 110 episodes of Babylon 5, a series which over its five seasons would win two Emmy Awards and two Hugo Awards, among other awards. Now, for what we come here to talk about, we're going to move on to comics. Yeah. In 1998, Straczynski started his own imprint at Top Cow, which is itself an imprint of Image Comics. Yeah. His imprint was called Joe's Comics. That's not that unusual, though, the imprint within an imprint. You know, that's basically yeah, especially at Image. Jim Lee's yeah. uh, shell game right there. <laughs> now, notable titles, titles from Joe's Comics include Midnight Nations, which was 12 issues plus a Wizard one-half issue, ran from October 2000 to July 2002 with artist Gary Frank, as well as Rising Stars, which ran 24 issues from August 1999 through March 2005. Sounds like there were a few delays in there. Now, Straczynski signed on as a Marvel-exclusive writer, and he would remain there from 2001 through 2007. His first work at Marvel was the rather daunting task of rescuing Spider-Man from the Burn Mackey reboot, wow. which uh, one of these days we'll have to talk about. Yeah. Uh, now, the first issue that he wrote was Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, Number 30. This was June 2001 cover date. Now, his run with Spidey is among the more lauded in recent memory, and introduced do such things as uh, the spider totem. Uh, and uh, the question of whether or not the spider that bit him might have chose him specifically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. It's not as interesting to read. But, uh, <laughs> but it, was, it was better than what we were getting before. Now, he also reunited Peter and Mary Jane after an extended estrangement left over from that horrendous reboot. Um, also, Aunt May found out about Peter's dual identity. Whoa. Yeah, key stories included Spider-Man The Other, Back in Black, The Civil War tie-in, The War at Home, and One More Day, which more or less undid everything he put into place over his nearly seven-year run. And if we're being honest, 15 years of worth of runs before that. Yeah, he shouldn't take it personally. It actually got undid <laughs> almost everything that had happened since yes. about 1988 or something 87, like that. 87, 87, 88, yeah. Uh, Straczynski says, there's a lot I don't agree with, and I made this very clear to everybody within shouting distance at Marvel, especially Joe Quesada. There was a point where I made the decision and told Joe that I was going to take my name off the last two issues of the OMD arc. Eventually, Joe talked to me out of that decision because at the end of the day, I don't want to sabotage Joe or Marvel. And I have a lot of respect for both of those. Casada maintains that Trzinski was on board with the dissolution of the Parker marriage and only disagreed with the methodology of the thing, which actually is what everyone disagrees with. So I don't yeah. blame him for that. <laughs> uh, worth noting, JMS wrote the black-covered Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, number 36, which was written as a response to the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Caught a bit of guff for portraying Dr. Doom as sympathetic to the plight of New Yorkers, even having him shed a tear as he sees the towers fall, which I think is perfectly reasonable, really. Uh, <laughs> other notable Marvel work included runs on Supreme Power for the Max line, Strange, which was a Doctor Strange six-issue limited series, Civil War era Fantastic Four, where he replaced Sue and Reed with Storm and Black Panther, and a post-Civil War relaunch of Thor. In 2007, just as his contract was winding down, JMS began writing a 12-issue limited series called The Twelve which looked at Marvel Timely's Golden Age heroes, who would be put on hold intermittently and wouldn't release its final issue until April 2012. When his Marvel-exclusive contract expired, and with the One More Day debacle still fresh, it was announced he would be making the jump to DC Comics, 
where his first work would be writing a relaunch Brave and the Bold. He'd write numbers 27 through 35. He would be the writer for the first of the Earth-1 line of original graphic novels, Superman Earth-1, and he would simultaneously take over monthly duties in the ongoing Wonder Woman and Superman titles, one of which we have the duty to discuss today. Mm-hmm. Now across the table, Eddie Barrows. Eduardo Barrows was born in Belém de Paro, Para, Brazil, on a day at some point during the mid to late 20th century. Okay. <laughs> now he was introduced to comics when his mother brought home an issue of Terma de Monica, which uh, in English is Monica's Gang. It's a Brazilian children's comic by Mauricio de Souza, and that's a book that still comes out to this day and one that, uh, if interviews are to be believed, Barrows still reads. Wow. Yeah, now his first professional work was for Chaos Comics, penciling six issues of their lauded Stone Cold Steve Austin comic book. Awesome. <laughs> now, in 2003, he would do some work on that nostalgic relaunch of G.I. Joe back when, like, everything, when, when we all realized how cool it was that we all grew up in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, after doing a bit of work for Avatar Comics, he would send a few test pages to DC and got himself hired. At DC, he provided art for various comics, including Birds of Prey, the weekly series 52, All New Adam, Countdown to Adventure, Teen Titans, Action Comics, and eventually a certain sore-footed arc on Superman. Yeah, but there is one more person to talk about who shows up later in this uh, very long arc of Superman. (laughs) Uh, Chris Roberson, born August 25th, 1970, and grew up near Dallas, Texas. He graduated from the University of Texas, Austin, with a degree in English literature, and while in college, he viewed himself as a postmodernist writer who was unfortunately not depressed enough to stick the landing. And so he started to write science fiction, and his work would receive positive reviews in many of the sci-fi magazines. Joined a writer's collective known as Clockwork Storybook, along with fellow comics pros Bill Willingham and Matthew Sturges. He wrote and published several short stories and novels. However, the Clockwork Collective was short-lived. Uh, it was announced at the 2008 San Diego Comic-Con that Roberson will be writing the Fables spin-off Cinderella from Fabletown with Love, which came out January to June 2010 cover dates. He would eventually be selected to finish a particularly unfortunate Superman story that, hey, that's the one we're talking about today, right here. Yes. <laughs> uh, one he described as having odds of failure that are freaking immense. Hmm. What does that mean? All right. I don't know. Well, let's uh, let's talk about something that led into that here. Uh, in a 2010 in USA Today, DC and Straczynski announced the basic premise for this grounded storyline. And if you lived not too far off Superman's beaten path, within 50 miles, you could write an essay. A very strange. We have we've got a minimum of 75 words and a wow. maximum of 1,000 words. <laughs> That's a <laughs> so uh, you know either a few sentences or a page, whatever you like, whatever page, comes yeah. to your mind. <laughs> now your essay is going to describe your town and basically pitch for Superman to come by and make a pit stop. Now the Superman Across America Initiative stated that nine writer, nine winners would have their towns included on Superman's walking tour, and also those winners would receive signed copies of their issue. Couldn't find all that much on the winners, other than uh, one fellow by the name of Ryan Doman of Ogden, Utah, and that's Superman's stop in issue 710. Ryan says, I just wrote an essay saying what Ogden really is, is really, and it has a lot of things going for it, but it also has a lot of bad things going on sometimes, so we could use Superman to drop by. 
I guess it worked. I have a feeling that was probably the tenor of all the winning essays, or no one else actually won this contest, which is, <laughs> which is strangely like it, it, it came out and then it kind of withered away. It just that. went away. Yeah, we thought maybe it was like a Mandela effect. Like we both remembered it, but right. <laughs> didn't know if it actually was, happened. But didn't even, I forgot like all the details too. I was like, was it about yeah. which cities or so get your face drawn in? I don't remember what the thing was. But anyway, that was that. So we'll jump right into these comics because there's plenty of them to talk about today. Starting with Superman number 700 with an August 2010 cover uh, titled Grounded Prologue, The Slap Heard Round the World by Straczynski and Barrows. And this really is just one of the stories featured in a giant size anniversary issue. Uh, Features a pretty creepy Gary Frank cover from his Heroin Chic and Christopher Reeve collection. Mm-hmm. Now, Superman has returned from an extended absence, and of course, this is in the wake of the new Krypton boondoggle. Uh, his loyalties have been called into question, uh, something that the news media is more than happy to run with. During a press conference, Superman is approached by a woman who greets him with a slap across the face. You see, she blames him for the death of her husband. She says, I know that will cause you pain. I know I can't hurt you, but I wanted you to feel that. Assuming you can still feel. If this is about New Krypton... I don't care about New Krypton, or orbiting satellites, or intergalactic whatever the hell you're doing. And she presents a photo. This is my husband, Richard. We got married right out of high school. I've never loved anybody else. We have two children. He worked hard every day of his life, but always made time for us. He died of a brain tumor four days ago. Inoperable, they said. Inoperable for them. But you could have seen it with your x-ray vision. You could have killed the tumor with your heat vision without harming the surrounding tissue. But you weren't there. I called anyone who might know how to contact you. I even contacted the Daily Planet, since they seemed to be your mouthpiece. They said you were in space, a new Krypton, trying to prevent some interstellar crisis. They said you were doing something important. You know, that sucks and all, but I I don't know about you. Stopping an interstellar crisis sounds pretty important. and. if he didn't, maybe the rest of the world would have, uh, you know. I mean, he, he could have cut out the tumor in your in your husband's head, and then you all would have been destroyed by, like, a meteor shower. So Sure. <laughs> uh, you got to look at it like that way. But uh, she hands Superman the photo, and he makes pouty faces at it. Yeah, dude standing by goes, look, lady, it's not like he's, I mean, he's been running around the solar system saving planets, and even you realize that Superman can't be everywhere at once. Which essentially right there is the end of the argument. But That's anyway. the end of the argument. But <laughs> the, <laughs> the woman's rebuttal is, you're right, he can be everywhere at once, but you were nowhere. You were out there, not here, where you were needed. And my husband died, and I'll never see him again. Never get to tell him that I love him. Never. How you work for the blue skins, on how you on a planet someplace you help the orange skins, and you've done considerable for the purple skins. I it feels I like we, we heard this before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Superman doesn't contest this in the slightest. Instead, he simply flies off, pretty much lending credence to the lady's ridiculous claims. He, he doesn't <laughs> seems not to care. But over the next few pages, Superman checks in with Batman and the Flash to see if they've lost sight of the little people. Uh, it's also where a bit of a running gag about red kryptonite kicks into gear. But there's no such thing as red kryptonite, right? JMS could have any K he wants. <laughs> Superman flies into space where he can get a good look at Earth as a whole and thinks of that slap, at the f- slap in the face as something of a wake-up call. So yeah, Superman, forget about saving the entire planet. Just go around saving one person at a time. Screw the Earth and its longevity. You're going to give him a bad idea. 
Ah, oh, too late. Oh, and so Superman lands and begins to walk. Strap on those comfy sneakers, folks. We're going to Superman. It's number 701, <laughs> September 2010 cover, Grounded, Part 1 by Straczynski and Barrows. The walking tour begins in South Philadelphia, born and raised on a no, playground. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, where some neighborhood guys are huddled around <laughs> an open hood of a pickup truck. They know there's something wrong with the ride, but can't figure out exactly what. A random passerby pops his head in and suggests. It's the fuel line. Great, more help. Um, Jimmy, maybe you want. And just what makes you so sure it's the freaking fuel line. It's Superman who looked in and his eyes are glowing. He goes, trust me, I'm sure. Now with the cross-country walk underway, Superman finds himself surrounded by members of the press. It would seem nobody has any idea of why he would just walk. Yeah, tell us about it. Uh, now we get some more red kryptonite gags. Yeah, I mean, this is post-crisis, right? I don't really understand, uh, unless they're, they're talking about that crimson kryptonite, Mr. Mrs. Pitlick created for that, that one story 15 years before this story came out. Yeah, probably not. I doubt Straczynski read much of probably that. Uh, he probably just saw these little gags as cute. Uh, he, the Superman walks into a group of reporters, one of whom is portly and uh, looks not unlike Tom Brevoort without his hat. Uh, <laughs> this Brevoort fella approaches Superman with an accusation. Yeah, he says, I think you've lost your powers. No... I don't think you can fly. I can. For this moment, I simply choose not to. Then I simply choose to call you a liar. I don't lie. Everybody lies. You're no different. Would you like to repeat that at 10,000 feet? Sure. I'll call you a bluff. Hi. And so Superman grabs the fatty and flies him 10,000 feet into the sky. Wow, you uh, sure showed that reporter human being Superman. Yeah, I, I get that, that Straczynski's trying to make Superman relatable, but uh, maybe not so much likable, because really, he's kind of a jerk. Not really Supermanish, but all right. No. Uh, <laughs> after plopping the reporter back on the ground, he continues his walk, and he's joined by Lois, and oh boy, another Red K joke. Well, it was so funny the first few times, it'll, I can't hold it against never, him. It'll never stop being funny <laughs> for the rest of the series. Uh, she asks what he's planning, and he doesn't, doesn't really get much of an answer to her. Then she asks how she'll, she'll, she'll explain Clark's absence, and still doesn't give her an answer. Uh, she does leave out a few important questions, for example. Didn't you just get back from New Krypton? Or maybe, are you really leaving me alone for another year? Possibly, are we still married? You know, those those kind of questions uh, might have right. come up, yeah. They might be important. Uh, now, we're going to go ahead two hours later as we, we join Superman at a diner. And I think we get a cameo from Peter Parker. I think so, too. It uh, looks sort of reminiscent. It's yeah. got to be, yeah. yeah. And I think that's just to remind us that, hey, Straczynski wrote Spider-Man for yeah. a while. Yeah, and Peter's on the phone and he says, What's he doing? He's not doing anything. He's having lunch at a diner. No, I don't know what he's having. This is nuts. You can't make a story about a guy walking down a street. Little meta-commentary, I presume? Well, we're about to learn he's not wrong. <laughs> not at all. Now, inside that diner, Superman would like to order a Philly cheesesteak. But he's not carrying enough money for one. Uh, <laughs> how long is he planning to walk with only a dollar in his... <laughs> Pocket cake. Oh, what is he, 11? <laughs> you know, right? He should have at least had an ATM card. It's ridiculous. Sure. Like, come on, buddy. 
Now, the waitress tells him his money's no good there and offers it up for free. Superman insists he pay. And so he organizes their stockroom in exchange for the meal. And does so with lightning quickness to, uh, you know, make him relatable to the common folk. Uh, That's what I would have done, sure. Exactly. Now, day turns to night, and... Superman <laughs> Superman finds himself running into some drug dealers. Yeah, one of them named Charlie says, Yo, dude, what you doing here? You buy to sell it. Because if you buying, then you a lot cooler than I heard. If you selling, you got to pick another block, brah. Because we got this one. <laughs> a fellow who's not Charlie goes, You go, Charlie. Tell him. Got to tell you, S, that is one sad monkey suit. Looks better on TV. Got that old Project Runway vibe about it, you know. Now, as the drug dealer continues to run Superman's fashion sense and lack of authority down, the Man of Steel glances around the neighborhood. You listening to me? I hear you. So what you looking at if you ain't looking at me? I was using those I-beams to look inside all the houses up and down the street, finding all of your stashes. Yeah, so... Go tell that one to a judge. That ain't admissible. Still don't give you the right to go inside. You're right. It doesn't. But you should all go back inside. Quickly. Looks like someone set your stashes on fire. All of them. And Charlie and company make a mad dash for their homes in hope of saving their stashes. Doesn't look likely, though, considering most of the neighborhood is currently up in flames. Yes, seriously. Superman just burned down a neighborhood. Right? That really happened. Like, what? And, uh, and this isn't a good area of town. He, he burns down the neighborhood. He burned it, and now it's fine. It'd be great now. Now no one has anywhere to live. And uh, <laughs> if that's not bad enough, here comes the real kicker, folks. Okay, so now a young boy approaches Superman and offers him a piece of candy to thank him for sticking it to the drug dealers. And Superman asks this very young child to deliver a message to those angry drug dealers. A, a child that would offer candy as a reward. Like, think about, like, a, a like yeah, eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. I was going to say, single-digit age yeah, child. Very young. The kid says, candy? Thanks. When they come out, will you give them a message for me? Sure. Tell them, tell them that I plan to come back every few weeks. I'll do it again and again until they leave. Okay. But you know they're just going to set up somewhere else over there. Yes, but they won't be here anymore. And that's a step in the right direction. The hell? And the kid has a better has better sense of it. Yeah. He's like, he, the kid can see the future here. It's like, he, they're just going to go somewhere else. You're but Superman's just... like, eh, not my problem. That's for them over there to worry about. We're worried about <laughs> over here. It's like, did you move in? Is this, is this, where, is this your new neighborhood, Superman? This gentrification. Uh, you know, it's Superman destroying thousands of dollars worth of drugs and very nearly burning down a neighborhood in the process. Then he asks a child to deliver a threat to these very angry and very armed drug dealers. And it's so not something he would do. He would How? Yeah. take these drug dealers to prison. Right? And they would and the, the police would accept them because he's Superman. Because he's Superman. This isn't inadmissible because he used his X-ray vision. I, mean, I don't Superman. understand. Like, are we still in the DCU? Is that part of this? We got to go <laughs> another universe where they don't know who he is. And, and you know the way the drug dealers act, be like, "Oh, yo, that S looks. You know who this is? This is Superman. You know, like, right? You know, coming in with some ugly looking duds. Like, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, you got an ugly ass cape, super, super whatever. You know, like, what are you? What is this? 
Super whatever you call yourself. Jeez. Oh, it's so bad. Uh, but we're not done with this, this Philadelphia walk yet. No, because Superman continues his walk. It's a big, big city, Philly, let me tell you. Right? It's, it's grown. <laughs> uh, now, along the way, he keeps a car full of college students from running a red light and suggests an old man visit a doctor to have his heart looked at. Because, you know, it's uh, to relate to the, to the normal folks, I, I usually listen into people's heartbeats from across the street, too. Yeah, that wouldn't, that wouldn't make me feel weird as hell at all, you know, right? if somebody can hear my heartbeat, but... I, I, I'm going to go do that today. I, I'm going to go to just some, somebody's house and be like, hey, you need to get your heart checked out. At least it'll be a story they can tell. I think instead of, I think instead of checking people, shaking people's hands, you should check their pulse. That's the <laughs> way to go. Be like, oh, your heart sounds healthy. All right, good. Can, wait, can I have a drink of water? Uh, now here's the other scene that this issue is somewhat notorious for, the jumper. Uh, he sees a building surrounded by officers and onlookers and decides to check it out and flies up to find a young woman sitting on a ledge sobbing. Yes, he goes, hello, Felicity. Thought we might talk for a bit. I understand you've been going through a lot lately, and... Don't you dare touch me! That's what you want, isn't it? Wait until I drop my guard, and then you grab me, and take me back down there by force. Because you can. Because you're stronger than me. Because you know I can't stop you. Let's play this one out. Yeah. Now, if he wanted you on the ground, you'd already be there. Right. Uh, whether or not you drop your guard is kind of moot. This is, again, Superman. You can punch him right in the face and the, the junk, and nothing's not going to affect anything. Yeah, you'll, you'll still be on the ground. Right. Uh, now, I'm also getting a vibe here that Straczynski feels like Superman needs to apologize for being powerful, which begs the question, why the hell is he writing this character? He doesn't, he obviously doesn't understand that Superman... Or has any kind of interest. I mean, he doesn't, like, exploit his power for to, like... You know, pick up people usually, yeah, I mean, except for this <laughs> until here. <laughs> okay, now we jump back into the ridiculousness. Somebody said when you gave your word, you'd never break it. Is this true? Is it? Yes. Well, I'll just believe that somebody then. That I want your word. I want your promise that you won't try to take me down by force. And that if I jump, if I choose to jump, because it's my choice, you won't stop me. If you do that, I'll talk to you. I give my word. I won't stop you, and I won't take you back down against your will. And worst of all, he really means it, folks. It's not just he saying does. this. <laughs> Such an inspiration, right? Yeah. Uh, Felicity starts spilling her guts, and we mean telling her story. She doesn't actually fall on the ground. No. Uh, and uh, it, it's all very quarter-life crisis. She's her mother who died. She lost her job. It's a bad scene. Works in a cubicle, yeah. man. It's got to be more than life to this, that kind of thing. Mm. Now, Superman's words of wisdom uh, come down to, more or less, life's tough. That's what my mom used to tell me. Right? Felicity <laughs> says, it's not fair. None of it's fair. And don't you dare tell me it is. I won't, because you're right. It's not fair. John Lennon is dead and Muammar Gaddafi is still alive. JFK is dead and Castro's alive. Gandhi's dead, but Manson keeps hanging in there. It's not fair. But it's not unfair either. It just is. Wow, three for three. What a difference a decade makes, huh? Yeah, while on that subject, hey, Superman, where were you on the following dates? Uh, <laughs> October 20th, 2011, November 25th, 2016, and November 19th, 2017. Yeah, uh, those spells are all gone now. Uh, I've never wanted to punch Superman in the face before, but here we are. You just wait, because it's about to get worse. Yikes. Still in Philly, day turns to night again, and Superman just floats <laughs> next to Felicity until he gets bored enough to suggest... 
If you honestly believe in your heart of hearts that you will never, ever have another happy day, then step out into the air. I'll keep my promise. I won't stop you. Did Superman just suggest this girl kill herself? Right? I mean, I mean you don't call that bluff, right? I mean, you pretty much, except on the internet, you know, a 12-year-old on the Twitter might say that, but I don't, <laughs> I don't expect uh, Superman to do that. If I don't get 20 more followers... Exactly. Gonna... <laughs> Superman continues. But if you think there's a chance, no matter how small, that there might be just one more happy day out there, then take my hand. I'm glad she waited for him to come to the second part of that phrase. Right. She might have just been like, later! <laughs> Peace. <laughs> and she decides to choose life and embraces Superman. Back on the ground, she's taken to a hospital, and Superman is approached by one of the officers. The officer goes, hey, question for you. Did you really let her fall? And after a moment of silence, Superman replies, Good night, officer. <laughs> God, so bad. Yikes. <laughs> Uh, where we wrap up this monumental issue with uh, the most face-punchable utterance from Superman. The worst one. Probably ever. Uh, as he's approached by a man who's out walking his dog. Yeah, he says, Well, there he is. I saw it on the news, but I couldn't believe it. Out for a freaking walk. World's going to hell, and you're on a walk. I mean, shouldn't you be out saving the world or something? You're a hero, right? Isn't that what heroes do? To be a hero, and I'm not saying I am one, I'm just saying is to live your life in a small cell whose bars are the principles and rules that define what you will and won't accept. Injustice, cruelty, murder. On the night they threw Henry Thoreau in jail for civil disobedience, a friend came to see him, saying, Henry, what are you doing in there? Thoreau said, no, the question is, what are you doing out there? If I am lucky enough, privilege enough to live in that cell, to serve in that box with the word hero written on it, then I say to you, from somewhere deep inside that box, what are you doing out there? I mean, this feels like a prank, right? Like, I feel like they're going to say that yeah. he's under the control of the psycho pirate the whole time. So. Like, is this an April Fool's issue? <laughs> what is happening? Uh, it's worth noting, though, that uh, Henry David Thoreau was in prison for exactly one night for failing to pay his taxes. His aunt would pay the bill the next morning, and he'd be released. So that's a hell of a dude to quote. Good job there. Superman. He's an inspiration, right? That's right. Very, very inspiring. So of all the issues, I'd say we're going to go through the rest of them, obviously, right now. We're still, we've got a lot to go. But this is like the water, you know, this is this the, the shell issue with the, so many insane scenes, the drug dealer. Everything he does in this issue is unbelievable, you know? And it's like, yeah. it's so, I mean... You know, we'll we'll talk more about it in the wrap up. But you know, on the face of it, the idea of humanizing Superman, bringing him back to a Earth, you know, a, a protector of Earth level after he did spend a long time kind of Away. messing around with the big new yeah. Krypton thing, uh, that makes sense. And even even in a broad way, going on a walkabout could make sense. But this, sure. I don't understand what's happening. Like he wouldn't do any of this. It, it's insane. No. It's insane. But like we say, we got. Many more to go. We do, we do. It's I, I don't. He's just megalomaniacal here. It's just yeah. like it's just so nuts, and uh, not too long either. Before or after, I think it was before this. Didn't uh, in All Star Superman? Didn't Grant Morrison write a like a jumper scene? That was oh like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, opposite yeah. of this. Yeah, absolutely I mean, opposite. I mean, it's, you know, Superman is supposed to instill hope. 
You know, right? He's not supposed to be resigned to another person's individual right to die. Yeah. And that's just not his thing. And there are heroes that would be more resigned to that and that it sure. would make sense for them to behave that way. And he's not that one. You know? He's the last one that you'd he's expect the, he's for that. Probably the, I'd expect a Wonder Woman to be more like, well, you know, the, we will have to travel yeah. the river sticks someday, so, you know. <laughs> no, because I read an issue of Action Comics from, uh, I want to say, 1999 or 2000, where Nightwing guest starred, and it started with Nightwing diving off a building. He goes, Nightwing can do that. Yeah. And Superman just sees him out of the corner of his eye, and he saves him without even right, thinking right, right. twice. Yeah. So it's like, that's Superman. This is not I Very don't know weird. what this is. Oh boy. Okay, let's let's move on here before <laughs> we both, you know, pop our brain cells here. Uh, Superman 702, cover dated October 2010, grounded part two by Straczynski and Barrows. We're in Detroit now, and Superman is walking down a street. Uh, he decides to throw in on a pickup game of basketball. Yeah, Detroit, right adjacent to Philadelphia. Um, right next door, right next door. There's a nerdy b-ball kid named Marky G among them who's basically there to be the butt of all their jokes. But of course, Superman allows Marky G to steal the ball from him. Yeah, Superman goes, not bad, guys, not bad. Gotta go. Yeah, you going now that we smoked you. After Marky G pick your pocket, Marky G, dude, you are the man. Yo, over here, everybody, Marky G smoked Superman. Now, Superman continues his walk and comes across a man raking his lawn. Superman is instantly suspicious and, like, gets right in the guy's face. almost Right in his face. Very antagonistically. Totally. Uh, he claims that he hears the man's breathing through his gills rather than lungs, and we can't understate how aggressive he is with this guy about it. Yeah, Superman from the curb goes, to this, to this random dude raking his leaves, do you hear something unusual? No, I... Not that the average person would. It's almost subsonic, a vibration. No, no, I can't say that I... I also hear the sound you make when you talk, a breathy sigh behind your voice. The sort you'd make if you had a layer of gills inside your chest instead of lungs. But what are the odds of that, right? After a pause... Do you want me to look inside your chest? No, you should not really, right? dude. Uh, Come on. I guess he can't really stop you, but okay. Uh, <laughs> the man finally comes clean, brings Superman inside his house. Turns out that he's actually a man, uh, an alien. <laughs> uh, Superman's attacked by a giant, like, robot warsuit thing. One of them's wearing this, like, super warsuit. Gives us a couple of pages of action that were desperately needed. Uh, when the dust settles, we learn that this is a house full of alien scientists, fresh from the delicious Nutella galaxy, who fled to Earth to escape tyranny. Natala. What? The, the planet Natala. I think, I think that's more almond-based than hazelnut. Uh, close enough. Yeah. So it's quickly revealed that uh, why we're getting this story, it, it allows for JMS to make some pithy illegal immigration remarks. Yeah, Superman goes, you can't just come here from an alien world. You did. I was an infant. Oh, so it's good enough for you, but not good enough for us? Sent from an exploding planet? Death would be better than tyranny. Then under his breath, Superman goes, Could you possibly have picked a worse time to immigrate here illegally? I wish I could grow fists on top of my fists. Yeah, this is Superman. Uh, Superman asked what they could offer to Earth, and their idea is, get this, <laughs> they're pretty good at finding lost pets. 
Hey, that's great. That's nice. But Superman suggests they aim higher, and then he leaves. But not before threatening that he hasn't yet decided what to do about them. Thanks for stopping by, Superman. Perhaps we'll see you again sometime. That very well may happen. Because I still haven't decided what to do about you. This isn't over. I just need to think for a while. Oh. Yeah, nothing too ominous there, right? Uh, Superman continues his walk and comes across an elderly man who is employed as a security guard. He watches over all the abandoned machine shops in his neck of Detroit. They have a pleasant enough chat, and when Superman goes to take his leave, the man doubles over coughing. Superman returns, swoops him up, takes him back to the alien house from, you know, like ten seconds ago. (laughs) And while there, he convinces them to load him into a machine and heal him. So... These aliens had, like, a healing pod machine thing in their basement, but they led with We Can Find Lost Pets. Yep. They really were shooting pretty low, I gotta, I gotta mm-hmm. uh, we wrap this. Out. <laughs> we wrap this up with <laughs> Superman suggesting the aliens take over some of the abandoned plants and warehouses and heal people. They've also stockpiled a bunch of gold, which is used to be worthless on their planet, <laughs> but you remember that was their thing. Uh, this, for some reason, reason, annoys several local CEOs Probably just uh, Straczynski grinding his axe. I don't know what that was about. Yeah, it's, it's, he seems a lot of his a lot of things are very pointed here. Yeah. Now, uh, in a rare win-win-win, the plants now have new occupants. All the laid-off auto workers are now back to work, and you know we got healing pods. Hey, that's, that's, <laughs> that's great. Uh, Owen Charlie, who's that coughing man from earlier, he is hired on full time. We wrap up this issue with Superman. Walking, and we can see that Batman has an eye on him. Uh oh, sounds like a world finest team up in the mix in the mm-hmm. making, if you ask me. And uh, that's exactly what we're gonna see in Superman, well, in its way, in Superman number 703, November 2010 cover, Grounded Part 3 by Straczynski and Barrows. Be open with Superman holding a stalker upside down, and he forces the ta- stalker to call him Sir. That really doesn't feel like Superman. Has any of this felt like Superman? Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Superman goes, and you don't want to go back to prison again, do you? No! No, sir. No, sir! Jesus. (laughs) Now, after this, uh, Batman decides to engage his super pal. Uh, Worth mentioning, this is Dick Grayson in the Batsuit, by the way. Right, this this is falling out of Morrison's run on Batman, which we may look at some other day. Certainly. Now, before breaking away, Superman forces the stalker to repeat never going back for an hour and a half. 32 minutes later, never going back. Swear to God, never going back. Keep saying it for another hour. I'll know if you stop. Jeez, dude. What you are? It's like a, what a bully, you know? What is happening? Uh, By the way, we're in Cincinnati, Ohio, and Batman believes Superman's in the midst of an emotional breakdown, which... I gotta say, it's probably the best theory going. It's definitely better than Red Kryptonite, uh, in my mind. (laughs) Now Superman goes, I expected you'd say that, given how out of touch you and Bruce became over the years. What's that supposed to mean? Alone in the cave? On rooftops? In back alleys and dark corners? Where in all that does the voice of the average guy reach your ears? Apples and oranges. What we fight is a lot bigger and more dangerous. The average guy isn't our problem. No. And then he wins Batman over by citing Joe Chill as just an average guy. Well, when you can't win an argument with logic, you might as well hit him where it hurts. 
Uh, Superman continues to lecture Batman until he hops back in the Batmobile and leaves, which I guess works. He, he actually just walks away. Yeah, He's I, like, okay, I'm I, done. I'm I, I would too. I mean, Superman just goes on and right. on and on like a later dad. Oh, you know? Lordy. <laughs> <laughs> now, we hop back to Metropolis, and word has reached the Daily Planet that some debris from New Krypton has landed on Earth. And so Lois informs Superman and suggests that he head to Danville, Ohio, which is fictional but nearby, uh, to check on it. Now, it turns out that two children found the shard and brought it to their Fundamentals of Science 101 teacher, Lisa Jennings. These kids look to be around, like, 10, and they're in a 101 class. Right? I, 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 does JMS done school? I don't, I don't know. know. Well, Cincinnati might have a hell of a public education system. They so might. Maybe. <laughs> now, at this point, Ms. Jennings' eyes begin to glow, and it's worth mentioning that Superman is walking past the building as this happens. Mm. Um, and so she heads to she has to head to a local dive bar to chat up the town drunk Willie Trask. Sure. Which is a great idea under any circumstances. <laughs> I don't know why more people don't do it. Uh, she flirts with him a bit and then touches his hand, which somehow transfers this new Krypton power into him, rendering him invulnerable. And also chomping for a fight, it Ooh, seems. He's a mean drunk, that guy, yeah. He is. Uh, lucky for him, Superman is in town, and he's chatting up a female officer about the missing debris. Willie Trash says, Who the hell invited you here? The officer says to Superman, Ignore him. That's Willie Trask, town drunken bully. Likes to run his mouth. It's okay. I just want to be sure because some of the footprints I saw belong to kids. Kids play in that area all the time. Doesn't mean they... Don't you ignore me. Don't you disrespect me. Trask, do you know who you're talking to? Like I give a damn. Listen, friend. I ain't your friend. I know you don't want any trouble. That's where you're wrong. With that, Trask socks soups with a wham. And the fight goes on for a few pages and ends with Superman tweaking and breaking what? Willie's nose. What, what happened? Uh, and neighborhood gets destroyed too, so there's also that. I don't think, um, you, I don't think you ever now, broke Mungle's nose. You know? Right? <laughs> It's. I mean, it, it took it took several issues for him to get to the point where he broke the little stalactites off of Doomsday's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Knee. <laughs> but he breaks Willie's nose in a minute oh, uh, and destroys his neighborhood. So also there. Right. Uh, now the issue wraps with Ms. Jennings, that science teacher from earlier, delivering a scathing and insanely rambly message to CVN News. She says, "This is entirely Superman's fault." If he hadn't been out of the open drawing attention, drawing an attack like this, it would never have happened. So I guess there's a larger question here. Superman lost his first world, abandoned his second, and we all saw his third world get blown up. That's two worlds destroyed and one world betrayed. Maybe he needs to face facts. Maybe he needs to let go of the idea of ever having a world to call his own. Not that he doesn't deserve one. I'm not saying that at all. But you have to ask, do we really want to see the score turn into three worlds destroyed? Is he just bad luck? Is he? I mean, if I was a reporter, I'd have walked away from her like 30 seconds really? ago. Really? I mean, right? this is the kind of person well, you just like, thank you, and you don't use that footage. Yeah, we, we're not using that clip. That's going in the garbage. <laughs> uh, and again, worth mentioning, this is right after New Krypton exploded, so mm. that's the third world they're talking about. We, we might uh, have to do that someday, too, the uh, New Krypton stuff. We'll see. It's 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 interesting, but it's long. It's really uh, long, and it doesn't, doesn't end great, but it's, uh, it's all right. No. 
Now, uh, we hop into the, the next issue here, Superman 704. This is December 2010 uh, publishing, uh, what was it, cover date? Yeah. Uh, this is called The Road Least Traveled, comma, A Grounded Interlude. Hey! <laughs> now, this is by G. Willow Wilson and Leandro Oliveira. So three issues in, and we've already got a fill-in. Let me tell you, folks, if you buy comics regularly, you know that that is what we call a bad sign. <laughs> yes, for sure. Now, in this issue, Lois Lane fiz- visits her fictional hometown of Rushmark, Indiana, and meets up with an old boyfriend of hers named Brian, who invites her to, din- to have dinner with him and his wife and his family. And so she goes, and she sees the kind of life that she might have had. Starts off syrupy sweet, but the veneer <laughs> cracks pretty quick. Uh, Brian and his wife eventually begin to bicker and complain about who's taking the kids where and who's spending time with the kids, so mm. Lois becomes uncomfortable and leaves. Uh, as she leaves, Superman swoops her up, they make nice in the sky, and he drops her off back in Metropolis before resuming his... Walk. Okay, and it was almost a breath of fresh air in its own way, even though that right, issue it's, was kinda... it wasn't a great story, but no. it was so much better than what we. It's because Superman wasn't in it, which is the worst. <laughs> it's a horrible thing to say, but it's true. <laughs> uh, but he's back in Superman number seven hundred five, January two thousand eleven, cover date, titled "Grounded Part Four: Visitation Rights" by Straczynski, Barrows, and Wellington Diaz. Welcome to Mount Prospect, Illinois, and if the cover doesn't tip you off. Just a picture of a boy with a black eye. We're going to be discussing domestic abuse in this one. We join Superman as he walks down a busy Chicago street, and the average folk he's trying to get in touch with are rather displeased that he is he, he is there. Yeah. So further to further hammer this point home, he walks past a newspaper rack that references the destruction he left in Danville just a couple issues back. He heads to the park and watches the children play. Yeah. Some woman says, "You shouldn't be here." There are children playing here. If something goes wrong, if there's some kind of trouble... There won't be. Are you sure? Can you be sure? And then a guy says, Look, we can understand why you'd want to see the country. It's natural. Last summer, Becky and I drove from Chicago to Las Vegas. Difference is, nobody got killed. Nobody got their house blown up. If a man walked into into this park with a gun, everybody'd be nervous. You get that, right? Of course. Well, then what you need to understand is the way we see it, you are a gun. Now, if there's one hero in the DC universe, hell, all of comics that people should have no reason to fear, it's probably Superman. Yeah. Uh, this mean, is like the this is the big blue boy scout, right? This is yeah. like, again, I'd be more afraid of Wonder Woman walking into the park than yes. him, you know? <laughs> and, and, and she's a nice hero, too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, and they're treating us like the Incredible Hulk is visiting the elementary school yeah. that kids, your kids attend. It's just, I mean, there, there's going to be a workaround for this later on, but it is very, very flimsy. Very. But, uh, remember this, yeah, boy. For what we get, it's just oh, so bad. Um, now, either way, Superman, a man who has saved the planet, the universe, everything and everyone on it more times than we can count, slumps his head into his shoulders and walks away. <laughs> He walks over to Lois Lane, who's conveniently hanging out on a nearby park bench. I guess she's following the story of Superman's ridiculous stroll. But so is Clark Kent. Right? I, I, it's like, yeah, it's I, the husband and wife are just going to take off across I the guess, country. Well, I mean, you, you also forgot to mention that every other reporter pulled out when he went to that diner because they felt it was too boring. Yep. Which, by the way, is moronic since reporters follow, like, 
people on chess tournaments. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's oh, this is too boring. Let's go, let's go find the dog that pisses on a high, you know, hydrant. But yeah, but the Daily Planet sends their two top reporters on that. The one. two top reporters in the country. Yeah, yeah we're, that's fine. So that night, Superman has a nightmare where he is powerless to stop a beast from destroying Metropolis. Meanwhile, in Mount Prospect, that kid from the cover has his black eye. His mother applies makeup to cover it while he wonders aloud why his father hates him. Daddy Dearest does arrive and is quite displeased at the quality of coffee that his wife brewed, and so he slaps her around a little bit. The kid tries to intervene but gets tossed down to the basement stairs for his trouble. And as luck would have it, Superman just happened to be walking by. He x-ray peeps on the kid and retrieves him from the basement, takes him to Child Protective Services, and gives him a phone number to call every day to keep him updated. He threatens his abusive dad slash husband, too. There will be consequences. Yeah, the CPS officer says, Good thing you came along, Superman. Otherwise, we might never have known about any of this. It needed you to get to the bottom of it. No, it didn't. All it needed, all it really needed, was someone. Anyone with a pair of eyes, a voice, a phone, and ten cents worth of compassion. The hell does any of that mean? I don't, yeah, is right. It, is he saying CPS is at fault or the system? Who, who's bad here? What is what is his problem? What well, is his beef? Who well, is it with? He said he says you needed a pair of eyes. Well, yours happened to have X-ray vision, sir. <laughs> that that was the key difference in this case that really turned the tide. Okay. Uh, and and uh, the other thing is ten, a phone and ten cents. Like, come on, the phone hasn't been ten cents for a long time. Uh, yeah, I JMS, give me a break here. But uh, yeah, I, also, I mean, frankly, see, now here's the thing. Like, if you or I found uh, this situation, we would contact CPS because we mm-hmm. are people. You know what I mean? We we do not have the resources. We're powerless. Yes. Exactly. I, we can't fly a kid to an orphanage and like use our the fact that we're Superman to grease the... You know what I mean? But he is Superman. Mm-hmm. Yep. What the hell's going on? <laughs> it's like I, I can't threaten an abusive father with my heat vision because I don't have you heat don't vision. You don't have heat vision, but he can. Uh, and, you know, this is this is highlights the, the thing that in the very... Not even the first issue, but the intro to the story, the answer is why doesn't Superman save everybody all the time? This is why he... he so he, he can't. Has, He's supposed yeah. to do this all day. He'd be doing this all day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Scanning every basement with his X-ray vision, <laughs> grabbing every abused kid, and and chastising the local CPS. Like that would be <laughs> that would be what he did. Oh, that would there would be no other hero heroism whatsoever. That would be his only job. Good God. And I, I thought that they, uh, I thought maybe they were going to throw us a curveball here the first time I read it. I thought maybe it was going to be that the mother was abusive. It seemed like they might, it might get, you know, like, ooh, we're going to, we're going to twist it here because she's applying the makeup to the kid's face. And, yeah. and the kids, the kid doesn't ask, why does that hit me? He asks, why does that hate me? So it's like, I wonder, I, I wondered the first time through if like they were going to like throw a curveball and be, have the mother be the one who was taking out her frustration on the kid. But, uh, it might have been interest a little more interesting, it, but no. it would have been something. <laughs> But what we get is exactly what we think. And I mean, get. the abusive father is right out of like the abusive father casting call. Let me tell you, folks. I mean, this guy, because he couldn't be anything else. He's uh, just a no. That's slovenly, yeah, he's, he's not a leading you know. man. No, this guy. He's he's there to hit kids and be a carnival barker, and that's about that's it. it. So uh, woo, we are we are coming close to the uh, halfway point here. Buddy. Almost. We're gonna march on here to uh, Superman number seven oh six. 
February 2011 cover date. Breaking news, a grounded interlude by Wilson and Am- Amilcar Pinna. That's right. We made it one whole issue before another fill-in. Woohoo! Yeesh. Uh, so this is Daily Planet-centric story, which hints at, hints at there being an unprofessional relationship between Lois Lane and Superman. Really one of those things a writer shouldn't direct attention to, if you ask me. That's a tough thing to walk back. But as we'll find out, it's not really that important in the long run. Uh, the ending is convenient and involves Photoshop. Uh, best thing about this issue is Perry White's utterance of Great Caesar's Goiter, which yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely working into my uh, vernacular. No Everyday problem. vernacular, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I hate it when they do this, when they draw attention to Lois and, and Superman being close, because it's like, we're not supposed to see that. Exactly. We only know it because that's the story. You know, it, but people in Metropolis shouldn't see that. It's a worm that once let out of the can, you can't put back in. You know what I mean? No. Like this, I, I guess the only way to do it would be like, one more day style mind wipes, yeah. or you know what I mean? No one wants that. So, uh, same kind of thing with like people figuring out that you know Bruce Wayne is Batman or X. You know, yeah. Uh, it's like you can't you can't put that back in the jar. So use no. that very sparingly. But mm-hmm. like, I, like I say, in a few months, this is not going to matter. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> We're going to go right on into Superman number seven oh seven, March two thousand eleven cover date. Grounded Part 5 by Straczynski, Chris Robertson, and Alan Goldman. So, welcome to the welcome to the team, Chris Robertson. Mm-hmm. I hope you're not expecting this to become more readable right away, folks, because yeah. it's, it's a little rough at start. <laughs> Superman's in Des Moines, Iowa, where he's really rather busy saving the day, including halting a freight train when a little girl wandered onto the track to chase a runaway balloon. What isn't clear is that 45 workers on board the train all lost their lives. Okay, that didn't really happen. I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> the, the crux of this issue is that a chemical plant explodes, and after performing the rescue, Superman learns that the plant is actually contaminating the groundwater with chloride, which in Superman's own words, isn't exactly good for the environment. But it isn't killing anybody Jesus either. Christ, what, who is this guy? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> now, his luck would have it. Lois Lane is also there reporting on this event, by the way. Now, the workers there beg Superman not to go public. Don't report this to the authorities because then the plant would be shut down and everyone would lose their jobs. And when Lois sees Superman begin to waffle, she will chime in. Mm-hmm. We have a worker go, I feel bad for them fishes, but I got a family to feed. Another guy says, Please don't let him shut us down, Superman. Then Superman gets that hangdog look on his face he's had for this entire arc so far. Lois says, You can't be seriously considering this, can you? I don't know. It's not all black and white. In the distance, we can see that science teacher, Ms. Jennings, looking on. We'll expect more of her and hanging around. Yeah. Lois says, are you serious? Moral ambiguity from you? What about the truth? Doesn't the public have the right to know? What good is the truth, Ms. Lane, if it just causes suffering? Like, you know, chloride in the groundwater. Anyway, uh, Superman tells the <laughs> workers that he'll keep that it all the down low so long as they try to get the situation under control. And as has become custom, threatens to pop in from time to time to make sure. <laughs> Lois is, as you may imagine, really ticked off. She's still unsure whether or not she'll agree to not to run the story until... Superman says, I'm afraid you can't run that story. What? 
You know what? Never mind. I'm going to finish my story, and you and I can talk about this later. I don't think you heard me. I said you can't run it. And Who is this guy? I, I, it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, and when he, when that line came, I thought it was going to be like, you, you know, you you, you, pen, you used your pencil backwards or something, you know what I mean? Like, but no, he's literally threatening his wife. He's threatening yes. his wife not to run a story or he'll, uh, I guess... Break. About poisoned groundwater. I guess he'll, he'll kill her? Is that the idea? I mean, what's going to happen? He's going to hang her upside down and make her repeat something yeah, for 90 minutes. Sir. Uh, yeah, and not even in a good way. Anyway, so <laughs> after the dust settles, Superman attempts to call Lois, but he gets her voicemail and dies. <laughs> I'm not surprised he leaves a minute. Right. Uh, we wrap this up with Superman being greeted by the Superman Squad. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a concept not unlike the Superman of America, but in the future. They have only appeared to this point in DC 1 million and All-Star Superman, both by Grant Morrison. They assemble because they were inspired by Superman's heroic acts. So they're the Legion of Superheroes? Uh, well, they're... Uh, Sort of. So, Superman 708, uh, April 2011 cover date, titled Ground in Part 6 by Straczynski, Roberson, or Robertson and Barrows. Uh, Superman squad take Hangdog Superman to the Fortress of Solidarity, sort of the clubhouse uh, headquarters for the Superman squad. And uh, they warn him to get his act together because he's in danger of losing himself. Not to mention all of his readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's here that it's suggested that Superman is suffering from depression, which will become the driving theme for the rest of this arc, and unfortunately, the rest of this volume. Uh, now, the squad drops him in Lincoln, Nebraska, and tells him that they're doing so in order for him to inspire a certain woman. If the cover didn't tip you off, they might be talking about Wonder Woman, <laughs> or at least that's what they want us to think. More on that later. Now, here's where things get hinky. In Wonder Woman's own book, also written by Straczynski, she's basically been erased from everyone's memory. So, when Superman sees her, he doesn't recognize her. Fair play, though, she doesn't recognize him either. Hey, just like those drug dealers uh, in Ohio. No one knows who right? that is. <laughs> now, not that the book is any help here. If you're just reading Superman, you've got no idea what's going on. <laughs> and you wouldn't get the clarification until a letters page a few issues later... That just happened to be full of confused Confused letters from fans saying, what's going on? Not the best way to get the information out there, folks. Uh, Together, Superman and Wonder Woman stop a tornado from tearing up the town. And Ms. Jennings shows up again and is very annoyed that Wonder Woman aided Superman. Wonder Woman nails her with a solid right hand, but it doesn't knock her down. Mm, More than meets the eye to Ms. Jennings there. Mm -hmm. Takes us right into Superman number 709. It's May 2011 cover date. Grounded Part 7 by Straczynski. I don't know if it's Robertson or Roberson. I think Roberson is probably right. Uh, Either Barrows one. It's R-O-B-E-R-S-O-N. How about that? That's him. It's Robertson without the T. Uh, <laughs> that's why I'm saying Robertson. Uh, now it's Straczynski, Roberson, Barrows, and Goldman. We open in Colorado. And Superman is finishing up a superhero team-up with a fellow by the name of Super Chief. Mm-hmm. This is a native character who can tap into the powers of the Manitou Stone, or Manitou Stone. Several years earlier, there were a couple of characters on the JLA with similar powers. They were called Manitou Dawn and Manitou Raven. Yeah. Uh, we follow Superman into Boulder, and all the while he's trying to get a hold of Lois, who still ain't answering. I mean, would you? Nope, I don't blame her at all. Nope. Suddenly the streets are transformed into Krypton? 
Hmm. Turns out the Flash is uncontrollably, uncontrollably running through town and using Kryptonian hallucinations in order to get Superman's attention, and it works. Hey. Uh, there might have been other ways to do it, but that's fine. When Superman <laughs> finally catches the Flash, he sees that he's wearing an odd crown, and he removes it. Everything goes back to normal. Now together they head to a diner, basically so Superman can kvetch. Uh, Superman wonders if he's done the right thing in leaving his legacy behind. Uh, what? Do we miss? Do we miss an issue somewhere where? Yeah. I mean, I thought he was just walking around. He still got the costume, right? right? I, I don't know. He's even using his powers. He's he's actually. In a roundabout, effed up way, he's helping things, but, you know, not in the way we think he should. But yeah, Unless he's talking about his legacy as Clark Kent, which I don't think he is. I don't I mean, think so. I don't see, I don't see the, 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 the Clark Kent squad from the future. <laughs> uh, now, we, uh, we get to see a flashback here of young Clark Kent in detention. You see, he did something heroic, which caused him to miss class, and he couldn't exactly cop to what it was, so he got stuck in detention. Now, the coolest part of this scene is the fact that he's reading an Iron Monroe comic book, yeah. which has the same back cover ad as Action Comics number one, which is pretty cool. He's eventually joined by young Lex Luthor, who's in detention probably for being a little jerk. Yeah, he probably he uh, probably just blew up a uh, chemical bomb or something. <laughs> yeah, he, he killed 17 That's people all he in detention. Yeah. And he killed 17 people and a frog. With a robot, uh, you know, that was all. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, Lex, you know, he, Lex says, why are you inside the cage? And I, no. Uh, <laughs> either way, Lex walks out of detention and lets Clark serve his term. Uh, back in the present, Barry tells Sue Superman that he enjoys having a legacy of speedsters to pass on because it makes him feel like no matter whatever happens to him, there'll always be a flash. Yeah, so he can screw up all he likes. Uh, mm-hmm. we, so Superman 710, <laughs> June 2011, cover date. This is Grounded Part 8 by Straczynski, Roberson, and Barrows. In Ogden, Utah, Superman saves the life of an archaeologist named Helen Phelps. You know, just doing those average guy things that everyone we do all the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I must have saved four lives before breakfast this morning. Oh, you must have been sleepy. Uh, so I, I was, yeah, I woke up late. <laughs> oh, while they <laughs> chat, Superman sees this sim- his symbol in the sky and heads over to see what's up. He finds, if the cover didn't make it clear, Batman. And this is now Bruce in the suit, by the way, after Life After Death, right? That's what the arc was called, something like that? Yeah, Bat- was it uh, The Return uh, of Bruce Wayne? Return or... of Bruce Wayne, yeah. that's right. Uh Went through time. This Batman Incorporated time. That's here. right, exactly. So uh, they talk. It leads to a flashback of Bruce and Clark as younger men working together in Butron, and it's pretty boring. After the flashback, Batman tells Superman a bit about Bat- the Batman Inc. project and suggests that Clark might just be suffering from depression. They part as friends with Batman telling Superman he's got the shadows covered because he's needed out in the light. He also calls him Smallville, which uh, just seems I just seems weird, Chris. I mean, right? I, isn't that what Lois calls him? That's Lois's line. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know what. And he's got this creepy smile on his face yeah, when he calls him Smallville. I didn't like that at all. I was like, yeesh. Did not. No, and uh, and so I, I guess uh, that that letter, the 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 essayist from earlier was right about Ogden, Utah. It's it's a good place to go, but there are some bad things. Some happen, bad things and Batman. You know, archaeologists fall into holes and stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we hop into Superman 711. This is July 2011 cover date. Grounded Part 9 by Straczynski, Roberson, and Barrows. We start in Provo, Utah, where Superman is being 
given the key to the city. Oh, more than average guy stuff. No big thing. Yeah, yeah I mean, if, I, if I had to keep track of all the storage lockers I had to rent to keep all my keys to various cities, there's, I don't know what I'd do. You can't put them on a key ring because they're gigantic. That's the problem. They are. They are. They look really funny in my pocket, too. <laughs> so suddenly he hears Jimmy Olsen's signal watch start to Z, Z, Z. And this takes him over to Las Vegas where Livewire is running amok. Yeah, Superman tosses his key to the city to Jimmy so he can take care of business. Okay, now Livewire is an electric villain here, right. in case that's not clear. And isn't a key what Ben Franklin used to attract lightning? Mm, yeah. He's throwing this to Jimmy? I mean, I, th- Jimmy, I, think, you I think he might be looking at killing two birds with one stone here. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> Superman takes the fight to Livewire, and if we're not mistaken, it looks like Bob Hope's nephew, Superhip, might be playing in Vegas. I, really, mm-hmm. I think it's got to be him, but it's got to be. Uh, it might be the kind of thing we see everywhere, but not really. <laughs> yeah, only people like us see it. <laughs> really? You know? <laughs> Any, any guy in a shaggy top must be super. Uh, we see that among the civilians caught up in this mess are Iron, Iron Monroe, and of course, Ms. Jennings is there too. There's a brief struggle, and Monroe somehow gets his hands on that Kryptonian debris she's been carrying around with her. It's a sunstone, and that's what we'll be calling it from this point on. Uh, when he touches it, he sees all of these very disappointing. The depressing recent Superman scenes, including uh, you know, Jonathan Kent's funeral, Superman crying. The rain, Uh, sad stuff. Yeah, cure songs. (laughs) Yes, you know, a a dog in a cast. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Jennings quickly snatches the stone back because you know Monroe's on the verge of tears. Uh, Now, after a bit more fighting, Superman realizes that Livewire can't control her powers, and it's as though she's about to overload. Well, just so happens he had something very similar happen to him back in the day. And so he zips up to the Fortress of Solitude and procures his electric blue costume. He takes it to Star Labs for some resizing and then gives it to Livewire. Hey! And everything's cool! Perfect! She does do a little bit of alterations. She changes the S to an L, which looks really lame, on the costume, and she promises to be good. And Superman takes her for her word. Now, this ending, I liked it in a way because it was very Silver Agey. Yes. The idea that he would go and do like quick, quick alterations, you know, like <laughs> yep. his, his super sewing you know, skills, but uh, <laughs> it was it was also ridiculous. Uh, so, <laughs> Superman number seven twelve, August twenty eleven, cover date: a lost crypto story to make up for time. Lost boy by Kurt Busiek and Rick Leonardi, which we won't be discussing. It actually no. wasn't even included in my trade that I got. Ah. Uh, editor's note. It said, sorry for the grounded delay, but in the meantime, please enjoy this lost classic. Set shortly after Superboy died in Infinite Crisis, and Superman went missing. More on why they did this in just a second. Mm-hmm. Literally. Yep. It was Superman's, Superman number 713, September 2011, cover date. Grounded part 11 mm. by Straczynski, Roberson, and Barrows. Now, if you're, if you're keenly listening here, you're probably thinking, part 11? What the hell happened to part 10? Yeah. Well, we're going to introduce you to a fellow by the name of Super Muslim. Or, <laughs> I don't know. Super uh, Muslim? It's it's spelled Muslim. They spelled it Muslim. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think is is uh, maybe Roberson's. Uh, no, I don't think he's he's not British, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> either way, Superman Seven Twelve was supposed to introduce a superpowered character called Sharif, which means protector. Now. 
Now, Sharif would be the grown-up version of Sinbad, who first appeared in Superman Volume 2, number 48, way back in October 1990. Now, he would wear a costume similar to Superman's. It's actually, from the pictures, it looks more similar to the Keenan Kong new Superman costume. Yeah, only the shield would have an Arabic S, not a, you know, S. Right, a letter S, yeah. Yeah. Now, this issue was all set to run, and DC even showed the cover in the letters page in Superman 711. According to Roberson, the script went through almost a half dozen revisions before editorial would even touch it. Where was editorial when JMS was turning in the garbage that he wrote? I don't know. I mean, well, they, they, they snapped to it for this, so what happened? Three issues of this went by that were garbage. Right? Now, apparently, at the end of the day, the idea of a super-powered Muslim was still too hot to handle, so DC ultimately decided not to run it. Oh, well, well what might have been. But we will what go on. What might have been. The story proper here, we're in Newburgh, Oregon, and Superman is joined by Superboy and Supergirl. He takes them to a remote location and begins to strip off his costume. Wait, what? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he tells them that he will continue fighting for truth, justice, and the American way, but not as Superman. Yes, he says, I've been searching for an answer to a question. Must there be a Superman? And the answer, I've realized, is no. Supergirl says, what? And Superboy says, I don't get it. What's the gag? I'm serious. We do a lot of good but I've decided it isn't worth the cost. So what? You're just going to stop helping people? Oh, no. I'll still be helping people. I just won't be doing it out in the open. And I'd recommend that the two of you do the same. You're kidding, right? Supergirl says, Cal, I know you've been depressed, but... I have been depressed, but that's not what this is about. Now he's changing to his civilian Clark Kent duds and heads off to the Sun Dollar Coffee Shop to write in public. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. There he meets Oregon's biggest Superman fan. Now, if JMS was still the driving force behind this book, I'd swear this dude was made to lampoon every comic fan on the internet. I mean, it's like the Simpsons comic book guy come to life. He's umkempt, Mm -hmm. greasy, wearing a Superman sweatshirt. The barristers suggest Clark talk to him because... Nobody knows more about Superman than him. This, of course, leads to West Coast Bibbo telling Clark Kent that he doesn't know anything about Superman. <laughs> there's there's got to be at least a little meta-commentary yes, here, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Now, the uh, superfan tells Kent that he enjoyed Under a Yellow Sun, which was the novel that Clark had written. It's also a prestige format comic book published by DC in 1994 by Clark Kent with John Francis Moore. Ooh. Anywho, he takes Clark on a walk around town to see how folks really feel about the Man of Steel. First, they ask a kid on a bike. Yeah, the super super fan points to the Superman S on his sweatshirt and goes, Hey, kid, hang on a second. Are you afraid of the guy this stands for? And the kid says, Are you kidding? It stands for Superman. Who'd be afraid of him? Superman's the best. He's stronger than anyone else. And tougher and faster. Nothing could stop Superman. Not even dying. And then they go to talk to a woman. Excuse me, ma'am. Quick question for you. Do you fear or distrust Superman? What? Well, no. I don't know that there's anyone I trust more than Superman. If you ask me, he's all about the truth. And then they go to talk to a dude. Excuse me, sir. Do you think that Superman harms or even kills the villains he captures? Superman? Kill a dude? No way. 
Yeah, he just chucks him into the Phantom Zoo. Uh, we don't want to talk about that, yeah. Uh, then they go to talk to a family. Excuse me, folks. We're doing a quick survey, and I was wondering if we could ask you a question. Do you resent the fact that Superman has superpowers and you don't? The young girl says, Superman is my favorite. And her mom says, Resent him? We thank heaven every day. He can do the things we cannot do. Finally, it appears as though Clark is convinced the world might just need a Superman. <laughs> <laughs> this comes because, to a head. Because of this informal poll around town. <laughs> this is what highly the scientific. What's going on? <laughs> They're sending their findings to uh, the, yeah. the APA right now. <laughs> now, this all comes to a head when they notice a group huddled around a tablet watching a live feed from Seattle where Ms. Jennings has taken Lois Lane captive. Uh-oh, and we can hear Uh-oh. her. So you can hear her say, You hear me, Superman? Show yourself or I will kill Lois Lane. Well, she must have seen the playbook. She knows what to do. Yeah. Uh, now, this takes us to the final issue of this of this arc, and the final issue of, like, the third or fourth longest-running comic book ever, uh, <laughs> Superman number 714, October 2011 cover date. Story title is Grounded, comma, Finale, by Straczynski, Roberson, and Jamal Eichel. I guess, uh, I'm, I'm guessing Barrows might have had some new 52 stuff on his agenda at this yeah. point. Now, we're in Seattle. And Ms. Jennings is holding Lois captive, and just like we said 15 seconds ago, she's threatening to kill her. Superman arrives in the nick of time and swoops Lois to the relative safety of Redmond, Washington, the home of uh, Nintendo USA. Yeah, and apparently the bicycle capital of the Northwest. Yeah. How about that? Uh, After returning to Seattle, he and Jennings fight. Yeah, Superman goes, do you mind telling me who you are? I am your shadow. I am all of the doubts and fears you've been afraid to face. I am the answer to the question you never wanted to ask. What you are is annoying. Which is probably the first thing he said in this entire arc that we agree with. Right? Yeah. (laughs) He continues. What is it you want from me? I want you to suffer, Superman, like you made me suffer. Now, to avoid their battle destroying Seattle, for the first time, uh, Superman worries about that. Right, yeah. He, uh, he calls for the lightning door to open, and that's a reference to the Superman squad and how they travel. Uh, and so, a door opens, and Superman forces Jennings inside. They emerge in what's called the still zone, which is basically just a white background. Oh, so that's where the early image books take place, in the still zone. Ah, now it makes makes sense. sense. Yeah. (laughs) Now Superman is finally able to get Jennings to spill the beans. My name is Lisa Jennings. I teach high school science in Danville, Ohio. At least that's who I was until I touched this. Those were not high school kids that gave her the sunstone. <laughs> <Nope>. uh, now, <laughs> she produces the sunstone from her very stylish messenger bag. It's a really good thing that it didn't get knocked off in this, like, battle with Superman. Oh, see, she wore it, you know, over the shoulders. <laughs> over the shoulder, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Superman sees the sunstone and goes, A Kryptonian sunstone? An interrogation device? Two of my students found it in a field. They thought it was a meteorite and brought it to me. But you were passing by just then, in the middle of your sad Superman walk across America. Sing it, sister. Yeah. (laughs) And I touched the sudden stone just as you passed by a few yards away. My head was suddenly filled with all these thoughts and feelings. With all your thoughts and feelings, Superman. All of your grief and your sadness and your doubt. 
It all came pouring into my mind. It filled my head. She goes on to explain how she used her newfound powers to alter Superman's dreams and also to affect the way he perceived things around him. What? And uh, if you remember from before, we're going to flash back to that park from earlier. And, and instead of the woman saying, you are a gun to Superman, she was really saying, you are our hero. So what she was saying is, you know, if someone walked into a park with a gun... We'd be afraid you, you are our hero. That you are our hero. That's without okay. That that's yeah. Seems, you need you need to leave right now because you are our hero. That sounds very likely and also very flimsy. Indeed. Uh, at this point, Superman knows the answer to that question he'd asked himself during the second half of this arc. Must there be a Superman? He's uh he's decided to change his answer to yes. Yeah, he says he asked, "Can I change my answer?" Uh, just in case <laughs> it wasn't obvious. Uh, Superman grabs the sunstone, but Jennings doesn't let go. It shatters, nearly killing her. He scoops her up and calls out the Superman squad. Those of you in the Fortress of Solidarity, if you're listening. Like they have anything better to do. Yeah. I know the answer to the question now. Must there be a Superman? Yes. And there always will be. And with that, he steps back through the lightning door. He heads home and makes good with Lois. Turns out she wrote the article anyway. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> now, from here, Superman decides to form his own Superman Incorporated of sorts and delivers signal watches to some of his pals, including Super Chief and Steel. Iron Monroe, Livewire, Superboy. Supergirl and... Lisa Jennings. Hey. Unfortunately, Sharif was not on the list. No. Uh, he probably would have been, but he isn't. Yeah. Now, the issue, arc, and volume of Superman ends with the Superman squad watching the Man of Steel and Lois. And they're sad that eventually Lois is going to have to die, which... <laughs> really? Let me tell you, is a hell of a high note to end on. Like just realizing, ah, oh, he's going to outlive her. Ah, oh, well, you know, <laughs> one of the guys says... Superman and his wife are back together then? And the young girl in the super squad goes, But I thought that she eventually, well, you know. And a woman says, Superman did say that not even death could keep them apart, didn't he? They may have been separated from time to time, but they always found their way back to one another and lived happily ever after. And together, they fought that never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. And this woman is uh, Lisa Jennings, by the way, who uh, we find out Superman inspired her. Oh. Not Wonder Woman, her. Wow. And she was the one who delivered Superman to, to inspire her. Uh, now, the last thing we see in this entire volume of Superman is him winking at the reader, which is... Apropos. Yeah, a very, a very Fleischer ending, but uh, yeah. there was no good ending for this, you know. It, no, no, there wasn't. You know, uh, it's also, like we said, the next month began the new 52, so this whole yep. super team family is irrelevant. None of this. Yep. It all gets wiped away. No one cares. <laughs> uh, never been referenced. Of all the things they've referenced and past continuity since the beginning of the new 52, this has never been one of them. You notice that? Nope. So, uh yeah, there's a reason for that, folks. Yeah, but, uh, and I'm surprised we didn't see Lisa Jennings again. I, I thought, I mean, she's a, it's a, she's a black woman, uh, and uh, she's super-powered. Uh, I'll be honest, this in just the Superman Incorporated idea isn't horrible. I wouldn't mind it's seeing not. some no. of this stuff happen. It, it would all obviously depend on its execution, but 
obviously since like some of these characters superboy like vanished when new 52 began and yep. supergirl became someone else totally and got de steel was de-aged steel, and... and so there was nothing there was nothing to do there i guess but uh oh well what could have been you know to be mm-hmm. honest even though there are some nuggets in here some good ideas probably best we just let's put this away uh yeah you know yeah. just try to try to forget that this ever happened uh, we'll wrap up on Straczynski here. He would continue working at DC Comics on the Earth One line of original graphic novels. He did a volume two of that Superman, as well as the Before Watchmen project. Joe's comics imprint was revived in 2013 and is still pumping out work today. In addition, in addition, uh, JMS would write for Dynamite Comics' Twilight Zone comic book from 2013 to 2015. Along with the Wachowskis, uh, Straczynski sold the sci-fi series Sense8 to Netflix. He won a bunch of awards. Uh, 1994 won the Ink Pot Award. 1996, the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation in Babylon 5. 1997, another of the same award for Babylon 5. In 1999, he won the Bradbury Award for Outstanding Dramatic Presentation, also for Babylon 5. Uh, 2002, he got the Eisner Award for Best Serialized Story in Amazing Spider-Man. And 2005, Eagle Award for Favorite Comics Writer. 2008, he won the Christopher Award for Feature Films for the movie Changeling. In 2013, he won the International Icon Award. And in 2016, Glad Media Award for Outstanding Drama Series for Sense8. Uh, not exactly an award, but he has an asteroid discovered in 1992 named after him. It's 8379 Straczynski, discovered by the Kitt Peak National Observatory. Yeah, there you go. Um, Now, uh, Eddie Barrows here. Having survived Superman Grounded, Barrows has remained in the employ of DC Comics ever since. Mm -hmm. Since the New 52, he's had runs on Nightwing, Teen Titans, Justice League of America, Superman slash Wonder Woman, Earth 2 World's End, Martian Manhunter, and is currently working on Detective Comics and maybe Suicide Squad. Uh, not at the second, but he did. He did some backups. He, he did Suicide Squad earlier. You know, yeah, he did uh, some some stuff earlier. Post rebirth. Yeah. Often, often when suddenly the art changes for the for the much better on a series, you find out yes. he is involved. Because yes. <laughs> he's very, uh, very good. He's really good. Yeah. This this series does look good, but if you heard what we read, you'd know it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Chris Roberson shifted from DC proper to Vertigo, where he would co-create I Zombie. He left DC over a disagreement with how they handled the Siegel-Schuster lawsuit, as well as their use of the Watchmen characters for the Before Watchmen project. He said, My reasons for no longer wanting to be associated with DC don't stem from anything to do with my personal experiences there, but from watching the way that the company has treated and continues to treat other creators and heirs. The countersuit against the Siegel estate and the announcement of the Watchmen prequels were the specific incidents that crystallized my feelings on this matter. He wrote Stan Lee's Starborn for Boom Studios, and along with his wife, Allison Baker, Roberson is currently the publisher for Monkey Brain Books. They live in Austin, Texas, with their daughter, Georgia. Now, we got a little bit of controversy and a little bit of fallout to discuss here. Uh, we're going to start. We don't usually cite other people's reviews, but this one is a uh, rather notorious review for a rather notorious book. Uh, the Comics Alliance ranked the opening chapter of Superman Grounded as the worst comic of 2010 and among the worst of the decade. Jason Michalich? Michalich? Misalik? I don't know. Jason M. said that (laughs) he wrote that Superman 701, quote, reads like a mini thesis of its own, and it has a very clear message. 
Anyone who criticizes this comic is stupid and shallow and should shut the hell up. I feel like they're talking right to us. Right. <laughs> he goes on to this shallow. There's no question there. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he also describes it as quote defensive from the get go, obsessed with boxing out its inevitable critics by devoting four full pages and parts of three others to condescending, to belittling, or humiliating reader stand-ins who dare to question the wisdom of the story Straczynski has chosen to write. In the first issue, too, by the way. This is the, just at 701, in yeah. The, in the arc, he's already coming yeah. out swinging, and I gotta say, like, we, we don't usually do reviews, but I'm right there with Jason M. I think he's uh, yeah. on the money here. On the uh, money. On taking over for, for, from Straczynski, Chris Roberson said, so when I signed on in October of last year, they gave me a one-page, you know, you can charitably call it an outline, written by Straczynski, where he saw the remaining issues going. I think it was drafted at a point where he had assumed he would be writing them. So this is what he is giving DC Editorial to draft solicitation copy. Draft solicitation copy. copy. So that's what the editorial was doing. Yeah, they probably had to d- d- discover it like ancient runes or something, what the hell, what he was trying to do with this story. Because <laughs> they, sure, they sure weren't giving any guidance or editorial. Nope, uh, not at all. Uh, Robeson continues. He says, apparently at some point soon after that, before Superman Earth 1 has come out, Super- Straczynski decides that the monthly comic books don't matter anymore because he knows there's a relaunch coming, so he can comfortably quit and let somebody else finish the story for him. Sounds uh, crazy but true. Yeah, uh, and not very nice. Not very nice at all. That's that's leaving someone with the bag right there. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, now, just how much of of uh, this outline did Roberson keep? He explained in a 2011 interview with Comic Book News, CosmicBookNews.com, that basically everything in his issues was his. From the JMS outline, he would keep, of course, the city to city walk because that's. The thing, right? <laughs> and of course, uh, he also guest appearances from Flash and Wonder Woman. He claims he wasn't able to make sense out of some of uh, Straczynski's stories, including a guest appearance from Dead Man, who at this time was coming out was not was not even dead. Nope. Uh, it was during Brightest Day, and there's no way JMS would know about that, right? I mean, it was only like DC's core editorial direction at the time. Like, like eighty percent of DC's books had Brightest Day on the cover. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I guess, I guess we can't expect him to read any, you know, any of DC's output because it's pretty clear he hasn't read a page of Superman since the what the fifties. Ever? I don't think, I don't think he ever, ever even read the comic yeah. strip or even saw the Christopher Reeve movie. I mean, good God! Oh, Lordy. Uh, there was also a story that was supposed to occur in Los Angeles where Superman gets in the middle of a gang war, <laughs> where two bullets are fired and he can only stop one. Roberson jokes because, as we all know from Superman's credo, that he's exactly as fast as one speeding bullet. (laughs) (laughs) Roberson Roberson describes the outline he was given as, quote, dreary, which, uh, from what we did get, is putting it very kindly. He says it's filled with all the things Superman can't do, all the things Superman is limited by, and how real-world problems are beyond his ability to affect, which, folks, is why we don't do stories like this. So bad. It's really bad. Uh, It beggars belief. Yeah, uh, now even Marvel creators and editors got in on the act here. JMS was feeling a little cocky and shared a graph via his Facebook fan page that illustrated that sales on Amazing Spider-Man had dropped since he left. Uh, we also got to mention that it also, when he after he left, Spider-Man also went like 
three times monthly. Right. And uh, it was part of Brand New Day. People were nervous. That's pretty much when Slot picked it up, right? He was one of the brain trust, yeah. Okay. Because uh, they, they 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 jumped around every uh, every three or four issues with a different creator until they evened everything out. Um, now, due to this, he began an internet slap fight with the likes of Mark Wade and Steve Wacker. You know, uh, two notable oh yeah comic crap heels themselves. <laughs> wherein, uh, who, who, who definitely yeah. had no problem that back then being on the internet Smacking fighting. I'll tell you now. what, yeah. Now, uh, during this little slap fight, the quality level of JMS's Superman work was called into question. I think Wacker said something like, hey, you're not writing it anymore? I guess I can read it now. And uh, (laughs) they also mentioned uh, the rapidly dropping sales, which... Give the devil his due. Wasn't JMS's fault? Everybody knew that the new Fifty Two right. was coming, and everybody was jumping. Shit. It was mean, a lame duck run halfway yeah, through. Yeah, uh, all the all the comics in definitely from like July and August, right before the new Fifty Two, yeah. had just absolutely tanked. There was no hope tanked. for them. Uh, not that this would have done well, even in the best of circumstances, but no. it was people had really jumped ship by that point. But yeah. uh, he he did add about I think because like the issue before he came on, I think it was something like thirty thousand sold, and when he came on, it was like fifty four thousand sold. So he almost doubled the sales for the oh, first wow. two or three yeah. issues. But I think a lot of that was curiosity, um, and I think a lot of that was people reading it, saying how bad it was, and then a lot of other people going out to buy it to see just how bad it was. I, that seven hundred one is almost a so bad you have to see it to believe it like you know but yeah i just yeah. hate i just hate to think of a human person paying money paying money but yeah. if, if you could find it or steal it or you know <laughs> it, it is one of these things you have to almost see it to believe it and uh you know chris knows i didn't read this before the, yeah I, this this is a run that i've heard of and basically said to myself i'm not reading that you know nope. <laughs> <It's> ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but I, I had heard about it and now having read it i gotta say i'm really no better for it it is truly <laughs> Truly bad. It's uh, it's just not close to Superman. And you know, no. I don't think you or I, either of us, are such sticklers about Superman or any one character that they can't be interpreted a couple sure. of ways. As a matter of fact, part of this Superman coming back to Earth, it reminds me of like that old the, the thing between you know John Byrne saying that Superman should never say "Great Row," he should say good God, or, you know, he, oh, oh my God, he's, yeah. he's, and even though he's from Krypton, he's an earthling, you know, raised, and that's the, that's the Superman I like, prefer better also, mm-hmm. I like the more, uh, ground-based Superman, this, whatever this is, I don't like this at all, I don't know what this is about, no, this was, I mean, we, we, we talked back and forth over the past couple of weeks, this is a cruel yeah. Superman, he's like a bully, he's like a mean, he's a, a bully. mean person, yeah. He's just not. He has. There's nothing likable about him. And I mean, they they do, uh, you know, Deus Ex Machina it out with the whole. Oh well, you were just seeing what we wanted you to see. But so much of that doesn't line up. But yeah. I, and I, I get that. That was Roberson really trying to save this. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, you know, like when you when you when you when you put an orange peel in the garbage can, like you have that brief like instant where it's like, ah, it doesn't smell quite as bad anymore. Right, right. But then, but then you like, look down and you realize it's still garbage. <laughs> you know, that's that's what I'm getting here. It's like <laughs> there's a little bit of freshness. turns, you know? Yes, it's a little bit of freshness, but at the same time, it's still grounded. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely – I. I can't recommend it, folks. But like I say, that's, no. that's 701. If you need, if you need a laugh, if you need to see 701, yeah, one of, the, one of the worst comics I've ever read. I'll just say that right now. It's up one there. Of the worst it's comics ever. I really, I'd have to get a list going, but I think this would be in the top five. And I, 
And I have read some real garbage, and I know that you, you have too, Chris. Yeah, it's. I was trying to figure out. I was racking my brain thinking about because I mean, there have been thousands of Superman comic books, and a lot of bad ones too. I mean, it just stands to reason that there's going to be bad ones. I cannot think of a single Superman story worse than this. Well, I got got news for you. We have an amazing hook for the episode. It's a list. Yes. Of the Superman stories that are worse than Superman Grounded. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can find us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Find us on facebook.com slash cosmic t-mail history. We're on Twitter at cosmic t-mail, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. You can see our weekly writings at weirdsciencedccomics.com and Chris's daily DC Comics reviews on chrisisuninfiniteearths.com where he reviews a different DC comic every day. It's been uh, definitely... You know, I, I almost feel like we can tell how your week is going by what, you, <laughs> by what you're reviewing, and I definitely got the impression you've been a little little under the gun this week. Anyway, a little bit. <laughs> it's been a little all, all over the place, but <clears throat> excuse me, it's uh, it's great. You always have a, a ton of pictures from the book, great insights on the ads at the end I love, and they, they can run from any time, any time period. You got them from 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, yep. up till today. So, Including uh, uh, Superman 701, if anybody wants to... Go take a look at that. I've always said that your reading your website, <laughs> an issue on your website, is the next best thing to read in the comics. So that might be the best way to do it. Yeah, because it's you. free. It is free. and <laughs> No a, cover judge. And Chris definitely showed the best parts or the best worst parts. <laughs> the like, best of the worst. The yes. best way to put it. So, uh, yeah, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. you got to check that out. Uh, also, we have our show blog, uh, weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com, uh, which... I mean, I think uh, I think you can go there and hear crickets. So, I mean, there's, there's that. Oh. so if you ever want to hear crickets, you go over there, and we got crickets. Oh, I, I will do. I promise. I, I'll put <laughs> something on this on this thing. I got it. I, I always I think about it at the worst times. I'm just you me know, too. I, me too. You got to be there. To, and then when I sit down at the computer, I forget. Yeah, I'm sitting in the car going like, oh, I should do that. Exactly. Then, exactly. Or like I'm so I'm like on the train, you know, thinking yep. about it. But uh, it is there. And if, if nothing else, it has every uh, pre-crisis appearance to the monitor still so that's uh that's the claim to fame that's the claim to fame if you that's the only place on the internet you can find that but uh i think we have covered a lot of ground here today chris uh and i think that's all we got for him you got anything else for him fortunately i think we're done well folks i want you to keep it on the treadmill over here someone else will have to worry about that treadmill over there Feels you can't remember you never taken my advice It's always been the same for you Decide that once and don't think twice No one can expect too much too soon to tell to one too young A B C only is ways one who's waiting to be stuck Ah!